Hello, I'm Rebecca, the founder of Trio, and welcome to Pep Talks with Trio. Trio is the leading solution for workplaces to support their people during every life transition, from starting a family to retiring, and every life event in between. On Pep Talks with Trio, we chat to our expert partners for advice on how to best navigate these common, complex, and often messy life stages that happen during our working career. Keep listening as we connect the dots between life and work with the simple aim of education and empowerment. After all, life happens at work. Today on Pep Talks with Trio, we're speaking with Dan Matau, who is a people and culture leader. We're going to be discussing ways of working, leadership capability and development, workforce engagement and behaviours. Dan, welcome. Good Thank to be you here. Thank being here. Um, firstly, would you please tell us a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Yeah, absolutely. I think first and foremost, I am a father to two young, beautiful boys. Um, I'm a husband and partner. Um, love to travel with my family and spend a lot of time with them. And for the last 17 years, as you've said, I've worked in people and culture coming from an initial um, area of study of organisational psych and then finding my way into certain specialisations across the people function, um, especially in learning and organisation development. And here we are. And here we are. So the reason, one of the reasons we've connected and I would love to talk to you is because you have had a recent unexpected career pause, which I think many people are experiencing in this current climate. Um, and although it has been brief today, could we discuss how this has caused you to significantly reevaluate your career goals and priorities? Yeah, it's it's unfortunately not my first rodeo. Um, but it does come at a very opportune time in life. Um, our second son, Levi, arrived in October last year. So the silver lining to this situation is it's really allowed me to disconnect um, mm -hmm. completely from work. Um, if I think back to the last time I took parental leave, when Oliver arrived just over four years ago, um, I, I had a very supportive manager and working environment where I was connected only as much as I needed to be or wanted to be, which is a great way to be. Um, but I still felt that pull, that draw to be connected to the work um, across those periods of sort of 16 weeks in total. I still found myself being tempted to dive back into the work um, to, to, to sort of keep uh, on top of the work and understand how things are shifting and changing. Um, I suppose a silver lining of my current situation being fully disconnected from work mm. um, is that I really can be completely present with my family. Um, I'm loving this time. It's come at summer. Um, cannot complain about that to be able to spend the summer holidays with my two boys and my wife, Sarah. Um, and it's, it's, it's been an, an extraordinary period of, of, focus on my boys and to see their development. Um, Levi from zero to four months now, almost five months old, and Ollie who's coming up on four and a half years old and just to see how much they're developing week by week, month by month. Um, I would otherwise have missed a lot of that. So to be present, fully present and not have that draw of of work and the projects, um, yeah, there's certainly that, that, that silver lining. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, where you sort of can reflect on your first experience where you really felt the need to keep a finger on the pulse versus this one where you've had an enforced complete mm. disconnection, um, which is, you know, it's great. I mean, these life events um, are often unexpected. Um, they can be unnerving and unsettling. But as you've said, it's mm. an absolute silver lining in it. Um, now, I think, you know, when we've spoken previously, you've sort of seen that it has um, 
previously um, and this time to disconnect has shown you that you've veered off course from your passions. Mm. Um, so how is that impacting your choices in terms of re-engaging both in your career and your future employer and what you're looking for as you move forward? Yeah, it's it's a funny thing what a bit of quiet and time for reflection can do. Um, not a great deal of spare time, mind you, with a four-year-old across the summer holidays. Um, but in those moments of quiet where you're not sort of slingshot between project to project, OKR to OKR, um, or even job to job, I think one of the things I've I've realised I'd, I'd lost track of um, is that I was making career decisions and job decisions um, for progression's sake in some respects this the attraction and, and i'll be completely forthright um there's an element of ego stroking there too it feels very good to be wanted to be sought after um, for someone to reach out and say hey i love the work you did over there i think you could do that with us over here mm-hmm. and to be drawn into that um i don't regret any of the decisions i've made either um i've been lucky to meet some amazing people and work with amazing businesses um, but i think what this particular period of pause has allowed me to do is realize I need to bring my heart further into my work. I'm, I'm often a person who leads very much with, with, with my heart and my sleeve. Um, and that's not to say that I can't be incredibly pragmatic and sensible about the work that I do. I think there's a very important balance in head and heart that we have to all achieve as leaders, but also just as operators in each of our vocations. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me is realising that I want to be working for a company where I can, at the end of the day, ask myself this question, have I added something to the world for the, and done something for the better? And I don't mean directly. Um, very often, particularly in the people in culture space, we are sort of ninjas in the background. Um, our good work isn't always necessarily directly recognised. Um, and that's fine. I, I didn't get into this space because I want people to pat me on the back and give me bickies all the time. Um, but it, I, I do want to be able to sit quietly at the end of a day or a week or a month or a year and just say, yeah, that did good in some way. This helped this community in some way. And I had a small part in that. I had an indirect part in enabling that. Mm -hmm. So for me, as I look for a future employer, and I even cheekily, I think a few weeks ago, put up a post on LinkedIn that said I was um, reverse interviewing employers for the opportunity to work with me. Um, And it was very tongue in cheek, but I think there was some truth in that comedy, which is that, yeah, I actually am being very particular about who I want to work with. Um, and in these last weeks, even I've had some great conversations with amazing companies and great people. Um, and I'm being incredibly rigid in the assessment I'm making. And I essentially have a series of selection criteria now written down. So when I meet with an employer, I'm actually assessing against that criteria to be as objective as I can be to know that I'm heading in the direction that's going to bring that part of me back, which is that, that real heart and, and knowledge that I'm adding something to the world. That's so true, isn't it? I used to be in recruitment in my previous life and I would always say it's a two-way process, Mm. you know, and because, and as an employer, you want somebody who really generally wants to work for you and with you, you know, Um, it's not just a bum and a seat. And I know we've spoken before about, you know, the term human resources and human capital, (laughs) and it refers very much to people as, a resource as a commodity um and i think there isn't it there needs to be a shift away from that because we are human beings and we are mm. driven by human connection and that's very much what we want to focus on here um 
do you see, you know, in the last few years, you've obviously you know, had a long career in HR or let's, you know, let's say people and culture, because that's really what it is. How has has things changed from, you know, sort of pre-COVID to now? And this mm. pause, because you're talking about, you know, bringing heart into it. And I hear this a lot, you know, what's the purpose? What's my purpose and what's the purpose of the organisation? What else are they doing beyond just salary? You know, it's there's been, I've seen a huge shift in um, people and what they're looking for from their employer. Do, do you see the same? Yeah. What are you, what are you seeing? Yeah, I I don't know necessarily if COVID changed anything dramatically. It I think it just sped a few things up. Um, I don't think COVID illuminated anything we weren't already aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, we we we've known for over a decade that people want more flexibility in, in their work and their life, and um, we've known that clear goals and direction are what enable people to do good work, not be at your desk between nine and five. Um, yes, of course, there are coal-facing jobs, customer-facing jobs that, re- that, that, are, that are bound by a particular interaction. Um, but I think what, what we're seeing is, and, and then certainly COVID sped this up, but I think the biggest shift we're seeing is there's people are now recognising there's actually great sensibility in the human element. I think for a very long time, people have seen HR um, as the fun brigade or even the fun police. (laughs) And and they've seen all the, let's just call it how we would call it, the fluffy stuff as a nice thing to have. And I think the biggest shift that I've seen in my career um, is people are starting to see the tangibility of that so-called fluffy stuff. They're seeing how when people are emotionally and um, psychologically well, they perform better. They're seeing how when people are well-managed and supported and led, they perform better and they're more engaged. They're more likely to remain and even grow further and perform at a higher standard still. And I think that's the biggest shift I've seen. I mean, we could talk about HR version one versus version two versus version three. We can have that interesting conversation. But I think fundamentally, it's just a progression of the value of human values it's a it's an increasing valuing of the human condition and to not to fight against it all the time but actually to 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 really lean into it and to capitalize i know that sounds awful to capitalize but i think that's what we're doing because it is it is mutually beneficial to capitalize on the human condition Mm -hmm. if people work better when they know what they're doing and they have that clarity and that structure that direction they're cared for um, they have a manager who genuinely cares about them as a person as well as the performance that they deliver there is a mutual there's a symbiosis in that where everyone benefits I, i think when i've observed environments of the greatest dysfunction it's when they, there isn't that symbiosis between the human condition and performance you, you can't take the human out of it um and, and i think that's the biggest thing that i've learned in these last sort of five six to ten years which is the more you try and dehumanize the the worse things are for everybody yeah and isn't that amazing though that the more you can focus on the human um and the human condition which mm. you know life happens complicated <laughs> it is complicated and we yeah. can no matter how good an employer you are or whatever your organizational policies you are you can't control prevent or stop people having life happening to them mm. it, it happens but isn't it amazing then that what you're saying is the more that an organization can embrace that human condition and to support their people through these fluctuations, the greater the outcome, 
which directly mm. impacts the bottom line, which fundamentally is what an organization commercially is there to do. But, you know, it hasn't always been that much, such a focus on caring for their people in such a sort of deep way, whereas mm. there has been that shift now. You know, and I think one of the things when I've spoken to um, clients, there is a a much greater understanding around connection. Now, you know, we've all mm. experienced disconnection and isolation and that understanding that, you know, we are human and we are driven by connection becomes really important. And then that does ripple out, doesn't it, between from an individual and their performance and their sense of health, well-being and happiness into the team, into the family, into the community at large. Mm. And how powerful is that, you know, if we can get to that stage? Yeah, and, and you know, thinking back to your initial field of, you know, talent strategy and and brand and positioning, it's also just such a connected world now. You, you can't escape from the stories. Um, we have these platforms. I mean, Seek has their own reviewing um, platform within the pl- Seek platform itself. There's Glassdoor and others. Um, and people just talk. It is, it, it is, it, it is a very connected world. Um, and, and part of this push is... Uh, there's, there's two things I was going to say. There's, there's, there's a very tangible element to this too, which is that I think historically we've not done a great job as HR and people professionals in actually providing data to support these ideas. I, I think we've always had the intuition that people being well and happy will add value somehow. But until only the last sort of 10 years or so, and I'm sure other bigger businesses have done this much sooner, uh, but for most businesses, especially small to medium businesses, they haven't had the resources to prove um, and, and to produce the data to prove the value of that focus on the human experience and that human condition. Um, and the second is is the is the connected world piece, which is as an employer, you also can't escape from it now. Yeah. you can't you can't get away with treating people in a certain way because they talk. And they don't just talk. Their voice can be very loud. A single person with a single Twitter handle can have an immeasurable impact on your business's reputation. And that might not just be your employer brand. That could be your brand, yeah. your entire brand. Um, so I think it also forces, to some extent, employers to listen more and to be more sensitive to the human condition because there are consequences um, yeah. for not caring for the human condition and looking after your people. Yeah, that's hugely impactful. You know, it's certainly one of the benefits, I guess, from employees and people within the workforce that we do actually now have a voice mm. and don't get me wrong I, my, my argument is do it or else. my argument is not do it or else yeah. um, my argument is do it because there's very good data to support why you should do this yeah. um, there is very good even within small to medium organizations if we can collect enough data and and run regression across certain data sets we can see how leadership efficacy impacts performance, how goal setting clarity and the degrees of goal setting clarity impact performance, how that then impacts revenues, how that has an um, indirect or correlative effect upon company revenue and profit and cash flow. Um, We can do this math now. So, you know, where the CFOs were at the table maybe 10, 15 years ago, and they were easily able to present a clear black and white story on paper of their value. um, I think the people profession can do the same now and we can provide a very similar black and white valuing of the human condition. And I think that's where the power now is. Um, And I think that's why um, I was talking to colleagues about this very recently. I think that's why the voice of people and culture is now so much stronger. So, you know, go back 10 years and we were all talking about having a seat at the table. Um, 
I, I and this is a good example of where COVID's accelerated this. Even if businesses were more, um, I suppose, conservative and a little bit more suspicious of the role of HR or people in culture, I think at a minimum, seeing what our teams can do through that crisis and bringing people together through ways of working, through adapting tech stacks to meet the human condition, um, and adapting the behaviours and culture within the business to be remote friendly or remote ready or whatever it might be, uh, we've been forced into this position of value. Um, yeah. And I don't think I don't think it's coming back from that now. I think even those sort of those those stayers who are holding out on their love for HR, I think that this has just accelerated that. And I think that the the value is now um, unavoidable. Yeah, which is so good. We, you know, HR does need to sit alongside finance. You know that there is such a huge impact to the bottom line. But mm-hmm. I think sometimes it's hard. Um, to quantify that impact and it's not a fast no result, right you know it is long it's a long-term process and you know what I'm seeing now is a lot of companies need to make rapid change to the bottom line um, and so they cut people and then the impact that has is the people that are left are now doing more they're even mm. more under-resourced they're even more stressed their well-being is being impacted and then there's hiring freezes so you know if somebody chooses to leave or is is you know leaves for whatever other reason then there's no one else that's you know that's coming in and you know so it's almost an esc an escalation downwards mm-hmm. um, where it's you know there's there was almost that hope was if we could look after our people and we could get them to be more productive and well, then they're, they're delivering more. So the, there is always, you know, that positive impact on the bottom line, but it's, it is a long-term, it's a long-term mm. impact. And unfortunately it feels like, you know, in the mo- in the, the period we're in right now, a lot of companies don't have that time to sort of implement or wait for those strategies to actually come to fruition. Yeah. It's, You've sparked a couple of thoughts, um, and I agree. A, a lot of the value strategic HR particularly, um, and if we look at that through the lens of org development and change through leadership capability, those are very long-term plays. Those things don't bear out until 12, 18, 24 months later uh, because it has to become embedded within the fabric of the business. Um, you also just can't expect a leader, wherever they might be positioned in the business, to become exceedingly competent in such a short period. We're, we're learning constantly in it and it takes lead time, um, but it also takes lead time to see that trickle through the business too without leaders. Leaders begin to um, exhibit similar behaviours and learn um, and be mentored by and coached to adapt those behaviours that are more uh, conducive to performance and conducive to the human condition, shall we say. But there's also another piece, which is that there actually are short-term benefits to be found. Um, And again, it comes from this same place. It comes from that human centrism. It comes from that human factor, which is, and let's talk about a really difficult one, which is the numerous tech companies letting go hundreds of thousands of people. Um, That's an incredibly painful position to be in. And no matter how many people I talk to and how many stories I read, I've, I've not often come across someone who says the business was just wrong. Um, they were objectively wrong. I, 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 I don't see that. And, and even my own departure from work in the past, and um, I, I've, I've been, I think my role has been made redundant twice in my career to date. I, I've never disagreed with the objective decision. Um, in fact, I recommended one of those redundancies because I saw the value to the business to bring my team up 
and for me to step out and do something new because they I genuinely believe they didn't need me anymore. Um, they didn't need the particular skills and style that I brought at that point in time. And I was right in that instance and the team behind flourished. But I think, sorry, not to go too far into a, to a sidetrack, but the point I'm making is there are short-term things businesses can do in these difficult times too. Um, so yes, you, you have to do large-scale layoffs. That's incredibly painful for everybody. It's not what any company wants to be doing, but the differentiator is how you do it. Mm. Um, and we've seen that in the companies that have handled these conversations, these human experiences sensitively with care and compassion, but with the underlying realisation of the commercial imperative in hand, they have navigated these brilliantly. Equally, I've heard of people who have come to me directly and sought me out to, to share this experience and say, look, I, I don't disagree with the decision, but the way they did it, it hurt. Mm. It, it seemed cruel. Um, and this is where we talk about the way people, the, the sort of the viral nature of um, and, the, and the communicative and connected nature of our world now, which is it can have very short-term irreparable impacts upon your business's brand, your ability to attract and maintain talent. And, and the final point was those who remain. I think a lot of businesses tend to focus on the people leaving, but they forget we also have some shell-shocked people who are remaining, yeah. who are sitting there wondering, am I next? Um, and the good businesses that I've worked with, the great businesses that I've worked with have also had a plan for them. They've mm-hmm. had a plan to reassure confidence, to, to move through the same change curve as those who are directly impacted. Um, Kubler-Ross change curve, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, um, her model is one of my favourite um, because it talks about change of businesses the same way we talk about grief. Um, Kubler-Ross's model is originally the five stages of grief and has emerged in the contemporary for commercial purposes as the sort of the change curve for business environments. But it's the same. It's a very emotional experience. And our role in a business and with leaders is to help people reintegrate into the new state Mm -hmm. and to guide them through those stages, accepting that different emotional states require different responses. But ultimately, those leaders who are able to recognise that need for especially those who remain in the business um, and help restabilise and help build confidence again, but also the stories that move around them about the business doing the right thing by people, that does have a very short-term effect, a very powerful short-term effect. Uh, Because one thing I often talk to leaders about is you can't save your people from pain. You can't skip the first three steps in the change curve. Your your, your role is to support people so they just go quicker. Um, You get through that shock, denial and frustration stage and you move into experimentation far quicker and then into reintegration far quicker than businesses who forget the human element and don't allow people to move through and navigate those early stages and they get stuck. Um, They often get stuck at the bottom of that trough, which is loosely referred to as the depression state. Um, And they never climb out again. Um, So I I would counter that to say there's a lot of short-term good that can be done. Um, And I think the businesses that are navigating that successfully or at a minimum are doing their absolute best to navigate that successfully with people in mind are those who will recover faster. Yeah. Um, and then there's the lag effect of not doing the right thing. So as we, you know, we talk about it takes a long time to build up. It also takes a long time to rebuild trust. Um, yeah, and to there, recover. Yeah. Trust is quickly broken, but very difficult to rebuild. Yeah. Um, it's a very poor um, paraphrasing, I'm sure, of a beautiful quote that I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> I believe there is a quote. I, I know, that I, I, yes, I can hear it in my head. Um what you're saying there, what I, sort of on what I'm hearing is um, 
the impact on the people that are left um, can actually be profound because mm. if the people that have gone have not been treated well, they the people that are left are go through a, a grieving process, mm. but they're also expected to take on additional work. So they're not mm. at their best um, when they're then loaded up with additional work. And I guess it's the role of the employer to then also acknowledge how am I supporting these people, the people mm. that are left through this reintegration or transition? How am I being mindful of the workload that, that they are now taking on, their well-being? Because you can't have the rest of the workforce that's left imploding. Mm. And if it's not done well, then, okay, those people might keep their jobs today. But the moment that the market changes, that is that scar is left with them of how their colleagues and their friends were treated when times were tough. So when times aren't tough, they're probably the first people that are going to be exiting. Mm. You know, so exactly right. organizations have the double whammy of the market knowing that they didn't exit people compassionately. Um, and also then when times are, are good, they're now losing even more people because those people that stayed have the option of finding other employers that care. That's fundamentally mm. what we're really looking for, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Huge. Now, I'd love to just see, would you share with us some of the um, things on your list of what you're now <laughs> looking for in a new employee? What are the sort of, yeah, what are the what are the changes? What What is it that makes a good employer to you now with, you know, fresh eyes? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a binary list, to be fair. Um, it's, there are options, I suppose. So there's, there's, there's questions about my, my balance in life too, which is I have, as I've said, a, a nearly four, five month old and a four year old at home, um, who I want to see at the start and then the ends of my day. So some of the things that I've adjusted are thinking about the scale of the business. Is it a global business or is it a national business only? Um, and if it is a global business, will I be starting my day talking to New York at 6am and finishing my day chatting to Dublin or London at 8pm, 9pm at night? And is that sustainable on balance with what do I, want to, I want to achieve as a father and what do I, want to, I want to achieve as a present partner at home too? So that's that's one of my employer selection criteria is to assess that balance of life and the time that would draw and then scale is a part of the question too um and that depends on the track that I take so I, I I've I've had a very lucky and fortunate career that I've sort of dived in and out of general management positions within the HR space as well as specialized positions in learning and organ development um so I, I I have that question in mind which is do I continue to remain in my specialization which I've done predominantly for the last sort of three or four or five years um or do I return to the generalist um, chief people or um, GM of people type role and have a have a greater strategic remit and and um, have that broader role and that obviously or potentially impacts the scale of business too. Um, I'm I'm still sort of earlier to mid career, um, so the roles that might be available to me at that more senior level might be in earlier stage startups and scale ups um, or stable small to medium organisations. Um, whereas if I was to stay a functional lead for learning and development, for instance, um, I could again look at more enterprise uh, environments um, and, and those larger environments where I might report into a chief people officer or report into 
a VP of talent and OD or something to that effect. Um, and there are other personal benefits in that too, in terms of having others who have my experience and, and, and background who I can be mentored by, learn from, um, spitball with. Um, so there's, there's obviously the, that, that, that distinction too. Do I want to be the most senior in that specialized field versus be a part of a specialized field and, and, and the benefits for learning that come with that and the growth of my craft that comes with that potentially. Um, the other big one that I've mentioned a few times is meaning, which is does this employer add value to the world in some way, to a community in some way? So that might be environmental, it might be education, it might be um, health and medical research, it might be um some form of tech environment that does gen do genuine good for the world. Um, but I need to be able to come to the end of my day, my week, my month, as I said, and ask myself, does my work add indirect value to the world in some way? And I, I need to find that. Um, and as I've reflected on my just over 17 years, that's a bit scary. Um, those roles that I'm most proud of, funnily enough, weren't the ones that paid the most. Um, yeah. They were the roles where I had that sense of direct connection to the people and the business and the work they were doing. And we shared a common cause and passion for community. Um, my, my very first role at Museums Victoria is one I often reflect back on and just think about the immense dedication and passion of the people that work at Museums Victoria. Um, it's an incredible organization um, of museums across Australia, um, predominantly Victoria, but they support a lot of national museums across Australia too because of their immense expertise and their reputation for the work they do and the business that they run. Um, and I often come back to that and I can, I can remember the feeling, the emotion of working in that environment um, and what it meant to work there and to see the experiences of children and school groups and adults and people with varying abilities come into that space and just all have a similar aha moment or um, discovery. And that's very powerful. Um, that's a very powerful thing to be aware of. So that's that's certainly the the, the, the biggest of those selection criteria. And there are a, a few others too in terms of um, the people I want to work with and looking for markers for, um, I suppose, their humanistic intentions and, and the way they view the world, their values. Um, and, and are they... And I don't want to work with people who are exactly like me. Um, in fact, I'm often attracted to quite the opposite. I'm often attracted to people who are very much unlike me, people who will challenge me and 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 help me see the world from a different angle and see a challenge or a problem from a different angle. Um, but I think still fundamentally sharing particular values around kindness. I think kindness is a really important word here. Um, I think ultimately when I when I boil down the definition of human centrism, it, it's kindness. Um yeah. It's a person who just gives a shit about other people. It's a person, and I think if we think about leaders in general, I think kindness is the root to all things, which is to give great feedback is kindness. To create clear goals and direction is kindness. To have a North Star, very American, but to have a long-term objective and to know where we're heading and to what we're seeking to achieve beyond the next week or month is kindness because it is ultimately through that kindness that we deliver what people need. So I think, yeah, I think that's a, that's a, I think kindness is the word I'll stop on. Then I, you will be, I can't, oh, you've given me goosebumps. <laughs> if we could have a world of leaders that just led from a position of kindness, 
what an incredible world we would be living in. It's, mm. You know, it sounds so simple, but also so far-fetched <laughs> in many ways, right? It's, you know, potentially so far from where we are, but to have mm. leaders like yourself talking about it and, you know, finding organisations where people are in there, where they are, have values that are aligned to that, there is meaning and purpose, you know, finding ways for the work-life mix to, you know, the balance, I think, is is incredibly hard, but our work and life are mm intrinsically mixed now and it's never going to change so finding organizations and people that have that value alignment but also diversity of thought because that's mm. where growth and innovation does come is is key um just before you leave because that that was an incredible um end there I want to just touch on something that is quite close to my heart and where trio started is you know you've taken two parental leaves now um one of the things that we really want to do is get more men more fathers taking parental leave giving women the opportunity to get back into work um really redressing those stereotypes and the narrative around parental leave because i do believe there is so much value um from an individual family and community level when um, fathers are more present um, and women do have the opportunity to return to work on their terms mm. um, but where we're really creating far more parity and equity in this space um, what you, what do you think are the opportunities and impact that because there's a huge movement in this space you know the, there are changes in legislation coming over the cu- coming years which is incredible to see but it's mm. one of the minorities of fathers that are taking sort of chunks of leave um, and are seeing and reaping those benefits. What would you say to other fathers that are thinking, I would love to do that, but this is going to negatively impact my career um, and I don't know that I can mm. do it. How, what's the message that we can send to Ooh. really start <laughs> changing Um this narrative, um, you know, because we need men like you to speak up um, to, for us to really drive parity in this space. It's it's a really it's a, actually a very hard question, um, and because I, I can only speak from my experience, and and I will call out very quickly that both of my periods of parental leave have been within environments where all genders taking parental leave or carers givers leave is normalised. And I think that's why it has been relatively easy for me to do that and to do it without any sense of guilt. And in fact, quite the opposite, to take that leave with pride, to do it loudly and proudly. Um, and I've not done that with any intention to call attention to myself or to position myself as anything other than another dad. Um, I've done it because I'm excited about it. Um, I've called it out loud and proud because I'm proud of it. And I love being a dad and a parent. Um I, I I pause to give anyone advice on what they should do because one of the things I discovered in my first parental leave break too was I, I actually had a lot of my assumptions disproven by that experience that around equitability especially. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I sort of went in a little naively, I suppose, assuming this is going to be a 50-50 thing. We're going to divide and conquer this thing as parents 50-50 and, and that's not really what happened. Um, 
what happened was a realization that we each have skills and biological factors that create difference. Um, there are certain things that I couldn't do that I'm speaking of Ollie now, four and a half, well, almost four and a half years yeah. ago. There's certain biological factors. Yes, I can bottle feed and I can change nappies till yeah. the cows come home as the trace goes. <laughs> um, um, but there are also other things, other strengths that I brought to that equation, which I lent further into. And there are strengths my beautiful wife, Sarah, went into either due to the biological imperative or just just factors that are true to her things things that are strengths for her as a person um so I, I think the 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 best advice i can give is first and foremost don't don't avoid it out of fear because of what people will think of you um i, I think more men more secondary carers however that definition might be for you and your identity um need to step up and, and take that time um, because as i said right at the start of this call as well um or, um, or at least if I didn't, I'll say it now, is I will look back on this time and whilst I'll forget the bank balance that I presently have, which is dwindling slowly, <laughs> I and, and that's fine, but I will never forget this time with my kids. I will never forget the little thing that happened in the swimming pool two days ago with my son, Ollie, that when he dove down to the bottom of the pool and grabbed that sinker for the first time, when his head was so far below and he did it without fear, I will never forget that moment where he did that for the first time, literally a week ago. Um, but I will forget the feeling of scrambling to look for new work. I will forget the the, the bank balance that we have today, um, but it's that time that you can't get back. So I think, yeah, look, my only message to people would be don't regret it. Um, don't don't look back on this time and and risk regretting that time. Take it and make it work. Um, whatever that looks like to you will be unique to you. Um, it'll be special for you. That's an agreement between you and your partner, you and your family about whatever the hell that looks like. And that's that's your choice. Um, but my recommendation is if you can take that time, damn I'll take it and fight to take it. If that's unpaid and you can do that and you can manage your finances in a way that you can achieve that, then take it. Um, you will never, ever regret that time. Um, and I would say that the opposite isn't necessarily true. Amazing. Oh, Dan, I cannot wait to watch your career go from strength <laughs> to strength. We absolutely need more people like you in leadership positions, creating change and advocating for change for you know, a more kind and humanistic workplace. So, Thank you so much for talking to me. I've absolutely loved it. My um, pleasure. I will make sure all of your details are in um, the link below the podcast. So if anyone wants to get in contact with you, they can do. And they can obviously find you on LinkedIn as well. So thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute delight talking to you. Thanks, Rebecca. You too.